Heavenly Father, we are here together to honor you, and that makes this place special. And so, as we dive into your word this morning, and even as we've sung, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would just move in each of us to have ears to hear, hearts that are willing to change, and minds that are focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome one and all. Good to see you here today. If you are new-ish and new and don't know me, my name's Steve. I'm a member of the elder team and a member of the preaching team here at Hall Center Church, and welcome. Um, as Jeff said, we lost an hour last night, but good news, my 2014 Volkswagen clock is right again, huh? And for those of you that really got bothered by that statement, it brings me no, just a ton of joy to know that bothers you. But that is actually the truth. I didn't set it last time. It's such a pain. So here we are. Um, many of you have wel welcomed me back. I appreciate that. Two Fridays ago, I was, I was in Florida. I was headed um, home on Friday, and this storm that hit canceled my flight. And um, so I was stuck in Florida for the weekend while you guys had that storm. Yeah, and y'all like, so bad. Listen, it was 87 degrees down there. And one of the three pools wasn't open yet at the resort I was staying because of the hurricane. So it just wasn't that great. <laughs> But honestly, I wound up, I, got, I was supposed to come home Friday. I wound up finally driving home from Boston at 2.30 in the morning on Tuesday. That's what, that's what that storm did to travel. Um, but I'm thrilled to be back. But honestly, it's just a picture of teamwork. First thing I did, I'm like, David, I'm not going to make it. And I was supposed to preach last week. And David just said, all right, I got you. And apparently it was ordained because if you were here last week, or you saw his sermon, it was a fantastic. He did a great job. I commend you to go listen to it if you haven't. Uh, it's wonderful. Um, a couple of quick things. Number one, there's still some ESV journals in the back of the room. If you're in this and you start to really get kind of get jazzed by um, going through the book of Acts, we have those journals in the back for you to write in and focus on. I just want to make sure you know they're still out there. We are going to be celebrating communion at the end of today's service. If you didn't get um, the elements there in the back as well, anytime you want to grab that. Um, and Don Shuffleberg came up to me before the sermon today and just said, hey, would you make sure to give a shout out of thanks to those that have helped as, um, as he was struggling in the hospital the last couple of weeks. And so thank you. I love to see the body uh, coming together in that way. We are in the book of Acts, witnesses to the end. Some of you are just right in this, other you might be visiting, um, and that's great wherever you are. We are going to dive in today into the book of Acts. The book of Acts was written by Luke. Luke, what was he? He was a doctor. He was also a historian. He wrote the gospel that bears his name. And what we are reading is the historical account of the earliest church, the followers of Jesus. And to set context, I want us to remember where we are. I put Acts 3, 9, and 10 up in the slides. It talks about a, a lame man who had 
40 years old, we're going to find out today, who just sat at this gate begging for years. It says, and all the people, after he was healed, saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the context for where we are in Acts. Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple, and they heal this lame man. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And this man who'd been lame his entire life gets up and jumps around and walking and leaping and praising God. You do need to have that in your mind. Imagine your entire life being a complete cripple, and all of a sudden, you're completely restored. And he's so excited about the miracle that happens, he creates a ruckus in the Temple Mount area. He really does. And Peter preached the sermon that David covered last week to the people, talking about Jesus, the restorer of all things. And three questions that David's sermon last week led us to ask, who am I? What is our identity? Where do I fit? Where do I belong? And what difference do I make? What is my purpose? Again, I would challenge you to go listen to that if you haven't, if you weren't here or didn't listen to it. Um, it sets the context for today. And so that's where we left the story. And so today we're going to pick up the same account in the next chapter, Acts chapter 4. And I've titled today's sermon, A New Chapter. Yeah. Days coming up with that title days. You're like, wow, Steve. So it's a new chapter. Well, guess what? David can't use this next week. I love it. Um, anyway, no, there's a reason. And so you'll see it as we do. This is, we're, we're really entering a new, a new experience for the church. And, and you'll see it as we get there. We're going to be in Acts 4 verses 1 through 31. And I have a single point. I have a point that I want us to own today. And this is the point. Faith in facts and a reliance on the Holy Spirit creates a boldness for Jesus that is not our own. And so this is what we're going to see in the continuation of the account of the healing of the lame man. In this new chapter, we're going to go right through the chapter, verses 1 through 31. There's a couple of verses at the end that we'll cover next week. We're going to see a new opportunity, a new boldness, and a new motivation. And there is a ton for us in this passage about our walk with Jesus. And so so buckle up. Let's go on this journey together. If you're one of those people that just loves going through an account in Scripture, and some of these these, um, passages, they do tend to preach themselves. This is one of them. It's just so, everything's so great about it. So we're going to look in the first seven verses at a new opportunity. What opportunity? And so while I'm going to give it away, Peter and John get the opportunity to preach to the big guys in town. It is a huge opportunity. We're going to see that. So let's read. Verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, Peter and John talking to the people, the sermon that David went through last week, that's what's going on. The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching 
the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so it's important to note here, why are they so greatly annoyed? Because they're teaching the people. That's their job, not Peter and John's job. Why? Peter and John are morons, according to them. You're going to see it in today's passage. They're like, you guys are uneducated. We'll get there. But they're greatly annoyed. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection at all. So they are sad, you see. That's one of the sad things about being in church your whole life. They just come out and you can't stop them. Sorry. Okay? They don't, they don't believe in any resurrection from the dead. Nonetheless, Lazarus, Jesus, definitely. There is no resurrection from the dead. And so we need to talk through the ramifications of that. The Sadducees run the temple. And so Jewish society is theocratic. It's totally centered on God. And the temple was the single access point to God. And the people who are running the temple don't believe in an afterlife. And they're controlling it. So they have all the privileges of being this conduit between God and man. and None of the responsibility. There are no eternal consequences. And you can imagine how corrupt that might get. And if you imagine how corrupt that might get, multiply it by 100 and you'll actually understand how corrupt it got. Go back to the Gospels and see Jesus deal with it on an almost daily basis. And so it was bad. And so they don't want, they don't want any of this resurrection talk. They actually take hold and to people start buying it because then they're going to be held accountable for how they're treating people. And as we saw Jesus call out in the Gospels over and over again, they're literally starving the people, including their own family members, that they should be caring for. Okay? So this is the crew we're talking to, verses 1 and 2. We're talking about verses 1 and 2. Verse 3, and they arrested them. Wow. They arrested them. And put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening. I want you to hear the similarities of this arrest to another arrest. Don't miss it. Okay, we'll get there. They arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But verse 4, Luke inserts this parenthetical. But many of those who'd heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about five thousand. Do the math on 5,000. It's a lot. We started with three. We're now at five. They got arrested. And Luke wants you to know the crowd is growing. Verse five. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Hmm. 
And so look at this scene. What does it remind you of? Right? And so you and I might look at this and we might go, pardon me, I'm going to kick that. It's going to be really loud in a minute. You and I might go, oh, that sounds awful familiar. Sounds like Jesus when he was arrested and all the religious leaders got together. Imagine being Peter and John. It's a matter of weeks since that happened. And they're now standing in front of that same crew. And so I was reminded as I was, as I was prepping this, reminds me of when John and James got their mommy to go to Jesus. Do you remember? And asked Jesus if her kids could sit on either side of him in heaven. In Matthew 20, 20 and 23, Jesus says to James and John, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able, which you know was garbage. They had no idea what they were doing. But then Jesus says, he said to them, you will drink my cup. Mm. But Jesus also says, I'm not the one with the seating chart. The father's got the seating chart. It's not mine to do. And so one wonders if John, standing there with Peter, remembers that day when Jesus said, you will drink my cup. Anyway, quick aside, that just brought to my mind. And it's really odd that someone from the high priestly family, if you didn't notice this, is named Alexander. It's a good Jewish name, right? No, it's not. It's a very, 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 very Greek name. And so this is an indication, and Luke is pointing this out, that the Greek influence was already very heavy in the temple. And that's not good. Um, we don't, names don't mean as much to us today as they did then. Um, and so the, not a good sign. So anyway, we have a new opportunity. Peter and John are now in front of the rulers of the Jews, the ones in charge of the temple. What an opportunity. Wow. They're now standing in front of some of the exact same people that sent Jesus to his death. We're not told what's in John and Peter's heart at this time. But can you imagine? Hearts must be just pounding out of their chest. There's some sweat. Are they wide-eyed or like, oh? Right? We don't, we're not saying anything yet. <laughs> Well, what we're going to see is a new boldness in verses 8 through, 8 through 20. If Peter was fearful for his life or intimidated, we aren't sure, but we do see the Holy Spirit give him the boldness he needed for the moment. Quick aside, he got arrested. He didn't cut anyone's ear off. That's improvement. You with me? I want you to see that there was no fight. There was no, and for Peter to not do that was a big move. We're not sure how intimidated Peter was at this point, but we do see the Holy Spirit give him the boldness he needed for the moment. And so Peter is going to preach a sermon. Oh, really? If you've read the book of Acts, you're like, uh-huh. Yeah, it's pretty much a bunch of sermons from Peter interspersed with a bunch of wonderful things the Holy Spirit does. And if you're somebody that's been around Acts for a while, you're like, I don't really remember much about Acts, but I remember the sermons because the sermons all sound the same. Summary of Peter's sermons. Jesus was God. You killed him. 
that's the, that's the heart of the sermons that Peter preached. Jesus was God, and you killed him. Let's look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if, if, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, right? because I want you to just remember back, they said, how did you do this? And Peter starts with, you want to know how this happened. Verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. So Peter addresses them. He says, rulers of the people and elders, you guys are the big guys. And he makes sure they understand the crippled man was healed. He was, but by Jesus, the guy you killed. Peter continues his description of Jesus, verse 11. And there is a month of sermons in these couple of verses. We're going over it at this level. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Wow. There's so much in that sentence about Jesus being that cornerstone that it was sent to the nation of Israel, and they rejected him. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so that's actually really significant because there's this push today to find, well, all the world religions are similar. Let's just find a place where we can all stand. Let's just find a place that we can all just kind of stand and be together. The problem is that Jesus is the only name to get saved by. The only name to get saved by. And that doesn't change. That's just true. Jesus is God. Fact. We are sinners. Fact. Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin. Fact. God raised him from the dead so that we can live forever. Fact. There is no other way for us to be rescued. Fact. And we don't get to be elitist about that. The Bible pushes us constantly to be humble and gentle and respectful and loving. But it's just true. And Peter is taking this new opportunity in front of the leaders of the Jews to make these facts clear. Verse 13. I love this stuff. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, it's the only way to read that. 
They were astonished. Astonished. And they recognized they'd been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Guys, this, this, this stuff is just so great. You two are literally morons. I know because you're from Galilee and you fish for a living. You usually come home stinking. You don't have much money. You never had a dime for education. And you're standing here talking like this to us. They were astonished. The two things this passage tells us, that they were astonished and they had nothing to say. And they recognized they'd been with Jesus. And this is where a lot of folks preach a great sermon because it's actually quite significant. God doesn't need you to be qualified. He needs you to be faithful. Peter and John are being faithful. That is what, that's the testimony that we're seeing. He doesn't need you to be qualified. He needs you to be faithful. For some of you, you're like, oh, okay, I can do that great. David's point from last week about our purpose, and I've, if you recall it, despite my weakness, Jesus can restore others through me wherever I am. Wherever I am. God can use you. Jeff talked about a VBS opportunity this summer. Boy, we need people. And if you've been around those in the past, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to reach into our community. They send their kids. We have barbecues with the parents. It's a wonderful time. But we need lots of folks. And yes, it's summer. So you see how I did that? Okay. You can be used. You can be used by God. And we're seeing that in Peter lived out in these verses. An uneducated fisherman just laid out an argument for Jesus as the only savior of the world that left the most, the most educated men in the country speechless. Did you see that? They had nothing to say in opposition. I would have loved to be there. Because what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us they brought him in, they kept him in prison overnight, and then they brought him in, and it doesn't tell us what's going on. It doesn't tell us entirely what it looks like. We just learned that the lame man is actually standing right there with them, and then it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, did what? Astonished them and shut them up entirely. Wow. Verse 15. So they said, guys, get out of here. And they finally figured out what to say. And when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what are we going to do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Everybody knows this guy. Everybody knows he's now jogging every morning. It's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we 
cannot deny it. The fact, the facts are evident. A notable sign, what a guy who's 40 years old, spent his entire adult life begging at the temple gates, is now running around praising God and pointing to Peter and John as the agents of that healing, and we cannot deny it. Verse 17. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Everyone knows you did this. Bring them in and go, just, just don't, no more of this Jesus stuff. We can't deny that a miracle was done. We just want you to shut up about it. It's essentially the message. And here's the problem. And we can see this. And there's so much for us in this. There's so much. Here's the problem with being in church forever. We get in a rut. And anything that's outside of what we're used to, we think is wrong. And we limit what might be what god might be able to do wonderfully in our lives because it just doesn't match and what these folks are doing is they're struggling with something that they can see touch feel hear everybody and it just doesn't fit and so we need to be careful of missing miracles careful of missing what god is doing in the name of defending kind of our religious position or our rut that we're in, have we missed a move of God? Can we miss a move of God? Because that's what's happening here. These aren't people who are necessarily jerks or dumb. These are people who are trying to uphold what God has done for 2,000 years. They're trying to uphold the traditions that God gave them in the Torah. Now something new comes along and they're like, I don't know what to do with that. Not only that, but it might mess up what I've got going on. And so have you ever been in a position where God did something and you were like, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. We need to be open for God bringing stuff our way that we didn't see coming. That doesn't jive with where I thought God was headed. We need to be careful to not be like the leaders here who push against things that don't fit our experience by default. We need to be careful. We may miss some wonderful things that God does. And so this new boldness comes through in the next verse, verse 19 and 20. We're going to see, but Peter and John answered them, uh, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge kind of like laying out a, well, you are not God, and I have God. Who do I listen to? Verse 20. And if you were to say, Steve, what's the highlight verse of this whole passage for you? It would be verse 20. It would absolutely be verse 20. Well, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We need to be really clear here. And we need to own this, every one of us. 
Peter and John are not challenging the religious elite with an idea. They're not challenging with a hypothesis. They're not asking the religious elite to work through some new thinking. They are saying, this is what we saw and heard this happened. They are speaking of what they have seen and heard. Their faith is based in the facts that they witnessed. And they are simply saying, there is no way I can shut up about what I saw with my own two eyes and heard with my own two ears, especially for a period of three years. I love this because they're kind of like, well, you, you can't tell me to shut up about this. This is what I, this is what I, this is, this is, I saw it. I heard it. And there's this conversation in the Christian world today, and you'll hear it. My faith is a personal matter. It's a personal matter. It's a tough word for us to use. It's a personal matter. Your faith should be the most natural part of who you are. Whatever you're passionate about, we're going to talk about it. If you and I, and we don't know each other at all from Adam, possibly, and we go out and we sit down a coffee in 15 minutes, I know what you're about. I will know whether you love your job. I'll know whether you love your family and how that things are going with them. I'll know what's hard. I'll know what's rough. I know what you love to do, whether it's hiking. It'll only take 15 minutes. It won't take any time at all. I'm going to know whether you like to hunt or golf or fish or shop or whatever. Whatever you're passionate about, you're going to talk about it. Why? Because I want to get to know you. And getting to know you means that I get to know the things that you care about. And so when we say we have faith, how, is, how in the world is that not part of the conversation? It's a personal matter, says my faith is a secret. My faith is a secret. And I'm going to tell you right now, you know it. I don't even have to say the word. Satan would love for your faith to be a secret to those people around you. He would absolutely adore that for you. And so what we know to be true, the facts about Jesus should not be hidden. It is the core of what makes up our faith. Talk a little bit more about that in a bit. So we've seen a new opportunity. We've seen a new boldness. And now we see a new motivation in verses 21 through 31. And so what we've just read, what we just looked at is one of the very first persecutions of the church. And the difficult times are just beginning, just beginning. And difficult times can turn into motivation for us, motivation to do what? Verse 21, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened. 5,000 men is what it says. What that actually means in numbers, who knows? But that's a lot of people. All were praising God for what had happened. And I love how Luke just says this. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed, he was more than 40 years old. He was ancient. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, right. Right. 
And Luke's point is 40 years of crippled life. You don't just get up and run from that. You don't. This miracle is performed in front of everybody, and everyone was praising God as a result. This guy's going to be in heaven. I'm so pumped to chat with him. I want to know what he was like. All the people were praising God for what had happened. To punish the two guys responsible just wasn't in the cards. At that point, you probably would have had a pretty good riot on your hands. And why was the crowd so excited? Because it was such an amazing miracle. Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And so what did the chief priests and the elders said to them? So they, so, so they released, they went to their friends and reported. They, verse 18 said, They charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They heard that they were to be silent, that they would be punished for talking about the resurrection of Jesus. It was a new motivation to lift their voices to God. It was a new motivation to pray. And when you see their prayer, there's a model here for us. They don't begin with, okay, God, so here's what we need. That's not how they start. Not at all. They begin with, Sovereign Lord. They begin with, he's worthy. I'll say this, when we struggle, we're supposed to pray. And here's the thing, in my life, when I'm struggling and I pray, Lord, take away the struggle, it doesn't do much. But when I'm struggling and I pray, God, you're worthy, God, you're good, you're working all things for your glory, and you even say, for my good, God, you're trustworthy, you're worthy to be worshipped, you are sovereign, you are faithful, I'm changed. And many times the situation changes too. It's weird. Try it. And if you want a really good example, I'm not saying this isn't one, the Lord's Prayer. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. The model for prayer is right here. And so they continue to quote David in their prayer. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit... Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And so they're just pointing to a prophecy from David on what had happened in recent weeks of Jesus being taken and killed. Verse 27, for truly in this city, they're in Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant, ha. Oh. Everybody, put your ears on for these two verses. In this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. It's a summary. Everybody. that could be anybody. Verse 28. They were gathered together. Verse 28. To do Whatever your hand and your plan had 
predestined to take place. And you say, Steve, explain that? I can't. I can't. But do you see what's going on here? They're praying. They're going, wow, the entire, everybody, the leaders, the Greek leaders, the Jewish leaders, the people, the Gentile, everybody came to do what you planned to happen. The murder of the sinless Jesus Christ. What? And so this verse is so full of mystery. Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, did what your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. I'm reminded of other places in Scripture where we see this kind of mystery happen. We talked about it in our growth group this morning with Joseph. Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, bad idea, you shouldn't have done it, God meant it for good. Reconcile that for me. I can't. It's mystery. But it's beautiful that God is working through all of those things. And so if you haven't underlined that verse, verse 28, or spent time meditating on it, use this week to do that. Want to chat about it? Hit me up. Love to chat about this stuff. And in verse 29, they ask for help. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This was a prayer meeting, ladies and gentlemen. They acknowledged God's sovereignty and rule and they acknowledged that God was even in charge of the terrible events that had happened to conspire and bring about the death of Jesus. And they pray for boldness. The persecution that happened as a result of Jesus healing a crippled man presented a new motivation to go to God, to give him glory, and to pray for boldness. And their prayer was powerful. What a great prayer. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Wow. We have a new opportunity in front of the leaders. We have a new boldness to preach to a group like that. And we have a new motivation Persecution actually led to prayer, honoring God, and the Holy Spirit working in amazing ways. And so I would ask you, based on what we just read, whether the main point rings true for you. Faith in facts and a reliance on the Holy Spirit creates a boldness for Jesus that is not our own. Peter and John said it. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter and John were committed to the fact of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection so much that they couldn't stop talking about it. Peter was killed for it. They tried to kill John for it. John's the only disciple that wasn't martyred for it. They were committed to the fact of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Are you? If someone asks you if the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, 
What's your response? If your response is it doesn't matter that it really happened, you just need faith, you are completely out of step with biblical truth. Completely. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ's redemptive work for us is not a fact, Paul says, we are wasting our time. This is not an idea we're presenting. This is not another spiritual concept in a list of a thousand and one spiritual concepts that flow across your Facebook feed every day. This is the fact of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection making all the difference for those of us who are in massive need of him. Our faith is based in facts. You need help with understanding and explaining that in today's world? Well, guess what? That's a quick commercial for our reasonable faith class. It's exactly what we do. Chat with some folks that are taking it. Just a quick commercial. Our faith is based in fact. And I really want to today make sure we dispel any notion that it's just another idea out there amongst this massive sea of ideas. There is no other name by which men can be saved. Period. And Peter and John preached that. They lived that, and they died for that. But my faith is a personal matter. What I would challenge each of you to do is to take today's passage and say, all right, it sounds like I need to get on my knees. It sounds like I need to give God glory and the honor that he's due. I need to pray for boldness. And I also may need to chase down these facts and understand how I can share them with people and do that in the context of our community. Our faith is based in fact, and that combined with a reliance on the Holy Spirit gives us a boldness that does not come from us. God gives it to us. In today's passage, we saw multiple times that people committed to the facts were filled with the Holy Spirit, and it gave them a boldness that flabbergasted those around them. And so may God fill us with the same boldness as we live our lives day to day. We're going to celebrate communion now. I love that. It fits really, really well. It always does. But let's pray real quickly. Heavenly Father, we, every single person in this room can confess that we are bold about some things. We might be bold about how we can tie flies, about how we can ice fish, about the, the deer that we can shoot about the car that we drive, about the truck and how big its engine are. We, they, we are bold about a lot of things. How much we love Target, our favorite clothes. Lord, we got all kinds of boldness. But we do confess that when it comes to you, our boldness tends to disappear so often. Lord, may today's passage where we watched Peter and John be put in a situation that had to be so intimidated, they were in the exact same place that Jesus was in front of all the rulers of Israel. And yet the Holy Spirit filled them and gave them boldness to preach the gospel. Help us to be like that. Help us to move each and every day toward more truth, toward our faith in the facts of Jesus Christ. I praise you for this opportunity that we now have to do what Jesus commanded us. As often as we do this, we want to do this in remembrance of the fact 
of his redemptive work for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I do. The theme of today's communion is going to be remembering the fact, the fact of our redemption. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. I love, this is just such a great communion verse. It says, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And today in our passage, Peter said it, there's salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus came to earth. He lived as a man and became the necessary sacrifice for our sin. And as he was preparing to give his life for you and for me, as he was preparing to be murdered and to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin, the Bible tells us that when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's just take a moment, each and every one of you, to bow your heads, close your eyes, and consider the truth, the fact of what Jesus did on the cross for you before we take the cup. Keep your heads bowed and eyes closed and just listen. Just listen to the verse that we have. You, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with stuff, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And God's people said, amen. And Jesus said, in the same way, the Bible tells us in the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Singers and musicians can come up while we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, man, we, we get challenged from your words so easily. We just need to open, we just need to open the book and just read a little ways to see how you're trying to teach us, how you're trying to grow us, how you're trying to challenge us, how you're trying to bring truth to the forefront of our minds, of our attitudes in our lives. And the truth that Jesus became sin is a truth that we will spend probably eternity attempting to fathom. That he who knew no sin became sin for us. so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of Christ. For those of us that have put our trust in Christ, we are standing before you now, clean, washed, in your sight. We praise you for that truth. We praise you for that fact. And we pray that you would give us boldness to love on those around us, to look for opportunities to share you in each and every corner we find ourselves in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.